0: Hey, this is Joe Perry. It was the Tough Focus on Metal.
1: Hey, Metalheads, It's Scott. And Richie. Welcoming you to yet another episode of Focus on Metal. Of course, our guest this week, I can't freaking believe I can say it, the one and only Joe Perry. And I owe this to the hard work of my cohort here, once again did a great job hooking this one up.
2: Yeah, well, actually, I, I don't know what it is, but when it comes to getting guys on who've, who've had books out, yeah. some, it's been easier for me to get them on through the book company yeah than it is through the record company. I yeah. I I don't know why. Um but when I hit up Joe Perry's publicist for the book, no problem getting them on. Yeah. It was just um they were scheduling it in October and in September and when I hit them up in like June or July, she said she'd get back to me like early September, which she did. Yeah. And we set it up from there. Yeah. But um, there was no problem really doing it. It, yeah. just, it it did take a couple of months, but that was because I hit them up early in the process. Right. Because I knew the book was coming out, and I figured mm, I'll try to get Joe Perry on. Yeah. You
1: uh, know? Yeah, I did. <laughs> but of course, before we dive into that, you know, last week we had on our friend Bob Bandian and talking about Inside Metal, Pioneers of uh, L.A. Hard Rock and Heavy Metal, the documentary. And... Since last week, in this, you actually got a chance to to watch it as well.
2: I did. It was dying to see it. Um, co- you know, when you said you had a copy, yeah, uh, down a game. I want. I want to take. I want to want to take that, and I watched it in one sitting. It's uh, two DVDs. It's three hours long. Yeah, and it didn't feel like three hours at all.
1: Yeah, and that's what I told Bob too. Was when, yeah. when he asked about it because he was kind of gauging about it. And you know, myself, you know, Hunter watched it with me, and it just. It seemed like, damn, it's not long enough. I want more.
2: Yeah, well, I'm I'm familiar with some of the musicians in it on Bob's podcasts. Yeah, because I wouldn't have known Alecart or Snow or any sure. of these bands. Now, I know the I know Carlos Cavazo, right? And I know Don Dockin, and I know Dave Manicetti, but some of the other guys that he had in it, right? Bob would have known from the late seventies, right. right? And I. They would have been on some of the Shockwaves hard radio or, oh, yeah. or the the Skull sessions, right? Yeah, and they were really good. So, but if I hadn't heard them, I wouldn't have had a clue who these guys were. But they right. had, had some great stories, right?
1: But I think don't you think it was great that that Bob had all those guys on? That that not everybody listens to all of Bob's podcast, and, and so there would there's going to be people that never heard of those guys. But the fact that he didn't just go for a whole bunch of these known star power names, but he he really kind of tried to make it very even, and and have both you know the guys that were like that that didn't end up going anywhere else, and then the guys who were part of it like Carlos that did go somewhere else. I well, think it, he did a great job. Yeah, well, he that.
2: wanted to tell the story. Yeah, and he knows the people who were he he was there at the time. Right. He knows all these guys and all these bands. Right. And what sure. I found really good about this, and I'm going to compare it to something. It might be an unfavorable comparison, but I'll do it anyway. I think when Sam Don did the Metal Evolution series, Uh right, he had all this footage, and VH1 said, "They don't know this band, they don't know that band." You got to cut this out, you got to cut that out, you got to cut that out, right? I think if Bob had had someone like that, if this had been a VH1 thing, right, yeah, it wouldn't have been three hours long, and half the story would have been thrown by the wayside.
1: Well, you know, he even says, you know, in people have listened last week, and if you haven't, please go back and listen to it. That you know, everybody else who was partnered with this. You know, all the other people that he's working with, the film company, everybody, they were all 100% behind, tell the story. You got it. you know, use what you've got. And and, and so he got just great, great support from everybody and everybody got it. And I think that's, you're right. He didn't get edited down to the least common denominator Yeah, part of it, you know?
2: It's like you have to have a commercial here. You have to have like... You know, you have to have 50 minutes of Lars Ulrich and, you know, yeah. five minutes of Carlos Cavazzo and then one minute of Kelly, and uh, you know, or the one, one minute with the guys in snow. It was evenly spaced out. Yep. Everyone had their chance to say what they wanted to say. Mm-hmm. And it was just a fantastic job. And, you know, like Bob said, that they'll put the bonus footage up hopefully on YouTube and all that. I'd love to see that too. Oh, yeah. I'd say the stories are fantastic. You right. know, if all these guys who were there, and they were, in, you know, they were on all these different bills with Van Halen and, and, and all the, you know, they, yeah. they were, one night they'd be playing with this band, and then the next night they'd be playing with another band, and one guy would be playing with one band, and then three weeks later he'd leave that band and go with the other band, and but they, they all knew each other, you know, right? And even 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 now, like the, their memories of the, that time are really right. clear, yeah, w- which I thought w- was great, you yeah. know, I, I just thought. I knew when Bob was going to do it, he'd do a bang-up job. Yeah, I knew he'd do a bang-up job because if anyone knows Bob, he's not going to start something if he's not going to be able to do it properly.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and he's he's Bob is, he knows his music and he's passionate about it. Right, yeah. And he's done it the right way and this thing is just, I can't say enough about it. It's absolutely incredible. And I don't know most of the bands in it. Yeah. Now, I know the bands that are going to be in the next two. Yeah. So you can imagine how I'm going to feel about those two if if, if it's done the same way. I'm going
1: to be like, holy shit,
2: this right. is the bible for that era. Yeah.
1: And for- that's an important point to bring up. That you know, last week, you know, when we talked to Bob, our focus was really on this one first current movie, and we just happened to mention just a little bit that there's two more parts of this trilogy that he's yeah. got underway, and you know, and. Partly to make all that happen and make all of that a success is, you know, needing the support and and out there as well. So, of course, you know, I'm going to put out the hat for Bob here and, you know, tell folks definitely, you know, go up to metalrockfilms.com and 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 pledge and get involved in all of that. Because this, I think this is, you know, once you see this and you see what they're doing, that it's not this slick VH1 thing. It's no. something you can really... You can really enjoy, and and uh, it just it feels different. It just feels different, and I think you're going to have the same feeling with the other two in this trilogy, and then they have plans to continue to do more of this as well, and I think that there's so many other places around the country that do have a story to tell, and I'm sure that, you know, you're going to look at this and think, and like Bob and I talked about, you think, well, oh, geez, San Francisco, it'd be great to get you know, like A lot of the people that were um, in that book Murder in the Front Row that yeah. had to come out, you know, and you you look at those pictures and you, and you look at a lot of those people and you could translate that right to what Bob's doing. I mean, that's that's a documentary right there and it should be this kind of more gritty way that Bob did it. I think that's how you present metal is, is that not slick and clean and edited to the nth degree. I, I think that the way that they did this is really honest, and it's just metal.
2: Yeah, you see, Bob, as well, Bob knows all the
1: musicians.
2: Yeah. So they, you know, Bob, they're going to agree to go on it, because they know Bob is n- not going to do a screw-up job of it. Yep. He's going to do a really good job, and they're going to be represented very well. Yeah. Which is what he did. Um, You know, sure, there's there's nobody from Van Halen on it. Okay, it's, it's you know, and they've got... You know, I would have loved to seen. Who wouldn't, right? Yeah. But, but Van Halen don't go on anything, sure, right? I know Bobus. I think he said in interviews that he tried. He tried to get Michael Anthony on, uh-huh. right? And I think he had discussions with him and It fell through. You might. The Van Halen brothers forget about it. Yeah, you, they don't yeah. go on. You never see them hardly on anything. Yeah, um, I would. <laughs> I hope to see it because I think when they see it, they might you know think holy shit this thing is for real because it is for real it's it's fucking brilliant
1: yeah it is but i think you know what's great though is that by not having them and you know i i give those guys their due i mean they really did bring about a step change in a lot of the stuff that was going on but at the same time i think what bob stuff brings out is that there was other people that were doing that as well and for nobody you know for anybody that really never like heard greg leon i mean that's something to go out and discover, is yeah. that, you know, and so there were other people that were in that scene. I think what would have been neat is if they did have, like Eddie, come on and be like, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, doing this thing with Greg or that thing with, you know, that would have been cool to to kind of tie up more of the story as well. Um, but, again, I like the fact that he had a really nice balance of, Kind of, I hate to call them the, the unknowns, but, you know, the knowns and the unknowns that were there. Yeah. And I even told Bob, I was glad that, you know, we had Lars in there, but it wasn't the Lars show, which, like you said, yeah, if it had been a VH1 thing. I think so, yeah. Then it would have been, you know, the Lars show. And I don't want to slag on Sam Dunn because he's done a great job of, of trying to to get something that he's passionate about as it well. Have, see, he's uh, working in a different frame. Yeah, I'm not slagging Sam Don. I think Sam Don's movies are good as yeah. well.
2: But I think his hands were tied when he right. got to the Metal Evolution thing sure. because he would have had a ton of footage, yeah. tons of footage for all these episodes, and they had to be edited down to forty-four minutes because there's sixteen minutes of commercials. Yeah, and they probably would have said, "Right, what what era are you doing now? You have to have this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy, and these other guys we've never heard of. Them. You can't really have them in it." Yeah. Whereas Bob went, "You know, no, we have to have these guys in. He's important. He's important. And right. He's important, and they were, and they're in the movie." Yeah. You know, and, and it it all, you know, it's it just, it's fantastic. One of the things I loved about it was when he had the old footage of all the billboards in LA and the big one, the Russia's hemispheres and all that. You're never going to see anything like that ever again. No, you know, it's fantastic. Yeah. You know, I, I loved all that old footage, you know, the whiskey and the Starwood and yeah, all. all. Yeah. Like these are all places I've heard of. Yeah. Right. Never been to, right. Yeah. Probably some of them are gone now. Right. You know, and then you see all the, you know, the, Got the camera outside and Van Halen with such and such a band or Alec Hart and yeah and Snow and and Van Halen opening and all this is like, wow. Yeah. This is like wow, holy shit, you know, fantastic stuff. Yeah. yeah. But uh
1: I brilliant. Brilliant yeah. DVD. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So definitely if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go back and listen to it. Great talk with Bob. Hey, great talk with my Michael Wilton too, about the Soul Bender release. And uh so that's on there as well. So it was a good episode last week. So if you haven't listened to it. Go back and check it out, and also, you know, you can go up and uh, there's a video up on YouTube that you can see some of the clips, kind of get an idea what we're talking about as well, and then, again, you know, if you really want to throw your hat in the ring there and help support all this, uh, metalrockfilms.com. It's been gaining some traction over the last couple weeks, and, you know, we'd like to just see it do do even more. It's something that's really going to, you know, has to get out there. So, you know, obviously we're throwing all of our support behind it. So we hope that, that all the rest of you in uh, the metal community do as well.
2: Definitely. It's just yeah. it's just fantastic. It's a fantastic documentary. Yeah, just fa- even if I think even if you're not a metal fan, there's right. something in it for you because the, the story is just really well told. Right. Absolutely. And yeah. I, I can't wait for the next yeah. two because <laughs> I know all the fans in the
1: next two. I'd be like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, of course, this week, you know, kind of a big week for me. Cause, yeah, uh, I let you have this one. Yeah, it's, you I mean, obviously, I mean, we sit here and we look over and I've got a wall that's covered with Joe Perry stuff. So Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for me as a guitar player, huge influence. Um, you know, I mean, you look over there, Richie, and there's that one poster uh, over in the corner, the Joe Perry project. Yeah. You know. Eight dollars. And, uh, no, the other one, on the other wall. Oh, I see it. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that was Come to Call. You, Lowell. Oh, just down the street. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I can remember going to that show, having my buddies turn to me. Because, you know, up until then, the only Aerosmith was playing massive, massive shows. You know what I mean? So to see Joe Perry that close in and everything, and they turned to me and they were like, Holy crap, you even tap your foot like him. Because when Joe <laughs> plays, he has this thing of rather than tapping his toe, he taps his heel. And it's like they're just like you even tap your foot like he taps his foot when you play. Um just he's been such a huge influence to me. You know, partly because, you know, local guy, Boston Band, always playing around here. One of their first gigs, you know, he talks about like one of their very first ones, and I kind of chuckle about it, but one of the other ones was just down the road here at Rogers Hall. And you know, so I pointed that out to people. Be like, yeah, I think that's like Aerosmith's, like second or third gig was there, and they're like, you're kidding me. <laughs> but it's you know, it's always been a a cool part of my history, and he's brought a lot to it. And you know, you can kind of see a lot of their influence through a lot of the music of today. People have taken a lot out for those guys, and and really not so much, I think. You know, you talk to to guys like Metallica and stuff, and they're not going to talk about things that happen post draw the line you know that's all that it's stuff that happens with rocks and, mm. and toys and stuff like that and not so much the other stuff that happened afterwards where there's still some of the essence but you know even for me it's really that initial set of stuff right you know from the self-title one right out to to draw the line and and that's kind of, that was the kind of the core of my stuff with music too, which made me go back and like, where did, you know, start bugging record store clerks about why don't you guys have any damn yard birds in here? When are you going to get some yard birds and going back and researching a lot of that stuff as well. So it's, you know, fantastic to, to finally actually get to talk to Joe. And, um, I, I was lucky enough to, to get more time with them than...
2: Well, you're supposed to have 20 minutes. 20 minutes. And, we and I'm, I'm waiting
1: for the text <laughs> and I didn't get one.
2: And I'm thinking, oh, something's gone wrong. He hasn't called. And then I get a text in I got 50 minutes with
1: him. And I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. So he must have done something right. So we had, yeah, we had a good, we had a good talk. And <laughs> good. I'll tell you the, and you know, obviously I, I praise the book up and down talking to him, but it's not just cause I'm on the, on the horn with Joe it is a really, really good book. Yeah. Uh, It reads really well and they did a, you know, just a fantastic job and, you know, and I talked to Joe about it and i talked to you a little bit about it that part of the thing for me too is that, you know, Sammy did a good book. I like Sammy's book and the thing though is when he talks about stuff, a lot of the places he talks about, I don't have a good frame of reference for. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, like, Joey Kramer's book was great, but for a good chunk of Joey Kramer's life, he's in New York. Yeah. And again, I don't have a good frame of reference for that. But when you talk about Joe, I mean, he's starting starting the same damn hospital I started in, you know? (laughs) So, I mean, the frame of references for this, for the good chunk of the book, are places that I know of. And so a lot of it really spoke to me just from that. Yeah. And uh, you know that might be part of why I got a little bit more time with him too, is because you know basically he was born here in Lowell, and we're based in Lowell, and and uh, you know he's got I I believe his father is buried here in Lowell too, and and stuff. But yeah, great. I was I really appreciate you setting that up, and we definitely had a good talk. Yeah, I can't get any higher than him. Yeah, <laughs> I so, can't. You know, as far as um. You know, for you, you know, just to kind of put the other flavor of it because now we've got the the Boston fanboy part of it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when did they come on your radar? Permanent Vacation. Really? Yeah. Which is um, which is really actually a really good album. I love um, it. You know. Now, uh, did you did they do Ireland on that tour? No, David, they didn't. Dave, oh, Jesus, when, I think they first did
2: Ireland. I think get a grip. Okay. Um, I think UK. They were one of these bands that came over, done some gigs in the UK. I think just made their money in the states. Really, okay. and they toured a lot in the states. Yeah,
1: I mean that that tour there, I saw them in their Halloween show, Providence 7th Center, Dockin opened. Oh, great! You know, it was a good show. The my big thing for that show that was really cool was that they actually gave Brad Whitford a solo spot on that show, which was great because mm-hmm. you know. And Joe even says it in the book, too, how much he appreciates the the relationship that he has with Brad and how well they fit together. They don't step on each other, and they know how to – where each person's spot is and where the strengths are and allow those person to play to the strengths and all of that. And he says some really nice things about Brad in the book, and I think that was really cool to him because most people, you know, it's when they talk Aerosmith, the focus is always – Stephen Joe, Stephen Joe, Stephen Joe. You yeah, know? I've often wondered
2: how the other three guys handled that. Yeah, maybe,
1: maybe years ago they handled it with booze and drugs. Well, it's you know the if you get the um, the Pandora's box box set, mm-hmm. they have a song on there that's called Crow With Them." I have it. Do it's, you? It's just the three of them because the other them, or two were out of it during yeah. the draw the line section. Yeah, the other two were gone. Other two were out. Yeah. three of them are jamming. Yeah, um, that to me, I thought would that that's the classic. So, what do the other three think about those two? Is is that? (laughs) Um, But I think that I think you did a great job in the book with kind of the relationships with everybody and and how he thinks about people and all that, and um, just yeah, just really well done. You see, I'm 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 apprehensive sometimes
2: when when bands bring out multiple books because are they going to tell their story, or are they just going to answer stuff that's written in the other person's book? Sometimes I'm I'm thinking, you know, Steven Tyler said stuff in his book. Yeah. I don't want all this book to be Joe Perry answering all the stuff that are come back doing a comeback about yeah. what Stephen and he said. Really about doesn't. I mean, this which, is, is, which is which yeah. is which is great. Plus the other thing with this is Aerosmith they've had an autobiography. Joey's uh-huh. had a book, Steven's yep. had a book, and now Joe's has a book. Yeah. And I I'm thinking okay is overkill. It's like Guns N' Roses. It's like Slash has a book, Duff has a book, Stephen Adler has a book. It's yeah. like, okay, guys, you know, what well, am I the, gonna learn?
1: The thing I guess, see, with with Joey, I think that um I had a good take. Uh, Joey had a nice slant to his book. Joey's book was great. You know, it's a fantastic yeah. book, and and I really got a lot out of that. Um Joe's, you know. I didn't read I haven't read Stephen's book at all and I kind of don't even intend to. I read it. It's 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 okay, you know. But then, you know, Joe's book, obviously I, I'm I'm a big fan of his and I always want to have more insight about him, but you know, I read that book and for a lot of his stuff and the way he's talking about stuff he was into as a kid and and all that and it was kind of like I could relate. Like a lot of the stuff was like holy crap, that's like that if I had my daughters read that, they might have gone, Dad, that's you. Mm. You know, it's, it's, was really kind of weird how a, a lot of that was. And, uh, I just, you know, he, it really is, I think, he, you know, he's show he's telling his life, his perspective, and he, he really makes that clear that it's, it's how he sees things. Okay. And, you know, and then it's, there's no answering. It's not, uh, trying to double back or cover your ass or anything like that. It's 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 reads like Joe Perry. You know, he just he says what he wants to say and he's pretty straightforward. And and it just really does read that way. And he does give a lot of credit to a lot of people that helped that band along the way. And that's that's a that's a big chunk of this. You know, he talks about. Frank Connolly and, and how important he was to them in Boston and what he brought to the to the table for them and stuff. And and even when he talks about, you know, with, with Collins and the management, he does give the guy the due of what he brought to the band in the beginning. Things didn't end up as well, but it wasn't the whole slant of, oh, he pooned us. He does still say, hey, he did great things for us and we owe him a lot for what he did for that however well they sold a few albums when he was manager there were times there was a, you know <laughs> things happened and yeah. and even at that point even to the point that he gives credit that Stephen from the initial he says it right from the outset that Stephen had a bad feeling about him when when and did I right blow was
2: it around Nine Lives was
1: it yeah I want to say it was around it, there, wasn't, yeah.
2: it was before Just, Just Push Play anyway wasn't it sure it was yeah 90s yeah, yeah. But, but you know he,
1: he gives Steve absolute credit to say you no know, that he was Stephen was right he was dead friggin right that ultimately his bad feelings were right on mm-hmm. and so he's a guy I, there's a good balance there yeah you know because he could have just not said that Stephen said anything about it or, you know not straight out in black and white said you know what my brother was right you and know?
2: the other thing now you have a on the table there and I'm looking at it and I've got a copy at home as well. It's not a 200 page book. No. It's pretty, it's a decent size. So there's a lot of good stuff in it. The thing that really bugs me is when someone has like uh it's like Lou Graham's book. When someone has like a 30 or 40 year career and it's 206 pages. I'm like,
1: come on. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Come on. And I'm probably going to have to go back and reread it again because it was definitely, uh, that, uh, Think what you gave it to me on well, we got Friday it. night. Yeah, right? we, got, we got it three days before the interview, yeah. and it was like, okay, so I gotta, I have like two days to, mm. and still do everything else I need to do on the weekend, and like read this thing like a motherfucker yeah. and get it done because yeah. I'm not gonna interview him not having read the book
2: I know, and you know I don't like doing that either to be honest yeah you know I think if, you, if you're going to interview anybody you should at least have the book absolutely or have the album or yeah. something it's just it's sim- It's a simple thing to do yeah, yeah. and uh, the publicist was great sent us two copies you know it was fantastic and you got 15 minutes with Joe Perry so you know excellent yeah, I, yeah you know you can't uh, you can't beat that <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> I'm not going to try <laughs> I don't know. Well, oh, I don't know. Hatfield <laughs> Eddie Van Halen.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll never get Eddie on here. But uh get, no. his, get his get janitor on. <laughs> but definitely. Um yeah. Great talk. Hope you guys enjoy it and uh we'll be back after uh my chat with uh, with Joe Perry. Joe is talking to us this week because he has his brand new autobiography coming out called Rocks, My Life In and Out of Aerosmith. So part of what Joe's doing to promote this book is he actually has like a, a book tour going on. Kicks off this week on October 7th, which is the day this, this show debuts. He's going to be at the Barnes & Noble at Union Square in New York at 7 o'clock. Then on uh, the 8th, he'll be in Ridgewood, New Jersey at Bookends. Then he comes back to Massachusetts on the 9th at the Brookline Booksmith in Brookline, Mass at 6 o'clock. Then Guitar Center in Boston on the 10th at 6 o'clock. That's the uh, the Mass Ave Guitar Center location. Then uh, on the 11th, he's at the Paper Store in Framingham, Mass. Then he heads out to the Midwest on the 13th. He's at the Standard Club at 1130 in the morning in Chicago. Then uh, that same day, the 13th, at 3 in the afternoon, he's at Guitar Center in Arlington Heights. Then he heads over on the 14th to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, Ohio. Then on the 15th, he'll be at the Barnes & Noble at The Grove in L.A. And then on the 16th, at 6 o'clock at night, he'll be at Guitar Center in San Francisco. Then uh, the next night, on the 17th, he'll be at Book Passage in San Fran. On the 18th, he'll be at Changing Hands in Phoenix, Arizona. Seems like a lot of book signings happen there. And then on the 19th, he will be at Guitar Center in Scottsdale, Arizona. And he wraps it up as of right now on the 20th at Book Soup in Los Angeles. And if you want to keep up with those dates, you can go to JoePerry.com and click on the book tour link and see if he's added anything new. So there you go. There's the dates where you can go and pick up the book and have Joe sign it. And uh let's go ahead now and hear Joe talk all about Rocks, my life in and out of Aerosmith. Very happy to finally be able to talk to you.
0: Yeah. Well, you got me uh um, <laughs> warmed up. I'm awake and it's the last one of the day, so uh if we go over a little bit, it don't matter. Awesome,
1: awesome. So we <laughs> we we definitely will have much to talk about, I think.
0: Well, I thought that writing
1: the book, I wouldn't have to say anything. So, of course, you know, you probably noticed from the number you're calling, you are calling a Massachusetts number. Yeah. Um, As a matter of fact, uh, we are actually based out of Lowell, and anyone who reads the book will know that Lowell uh, is a special place for you.
0: No kidding. No kidding.
1: Yeah, so, you know, just like you, I was born in Lowell, just uh, still, you know, longtime local Boston guy. You know, when I say it, I've been following you for a long time, um, it's no exaggeration.
0: That's great. I mean, it's great that, that uh, I've been doing a few local ones, and it's like, it's definitely different, you know, because, uh, I mean, uh, so many people, you know, I mean, uh, it's funny, writing the book, I always had so much uh, Boston in mind, you know, and uh, just thinking back about all the different places, and, and you know, it's a, it's like once once the band moved out of the, you know, it, into the you know, touring around the States and stuff. It's a it's a whole different a whole different mindset. But, you know, those early days are so special. And uh you know, playing the uh, playing all the all the local places and uh the different towns and, you know, and, and again running into people at at meet and greets at SARS at Medford High School and you know, all all those those gigs that were like when the band was really forming itself, you know, mm. and watching the clay come together, was like, uh, you know, I mean, we didn't know what we were doing either. You know, I mean, we just knew that people weren't leaving.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, it was a unique experience for me reading the book because a lot of time, you know I read a lot of rock biographies and I did read Joey's and it was a you know it was a great book, but yours are just it it spoke to me in a different way and I think part of it is what you just alluded to is you put a, so much of the local flavor into that and I'm reading through it and it's like yep I've been there I've played there. I was at that gig, stuff like that. So a lot of it was really kind of a trip for me, not only, you know, through your past, but even kind of in a way my past as well. So it it just, I thought you really captured a lot of what goes on around here in the book.
0: Well, in kind of a conscious way, I mean, I kind of wanted to have that feel. But I think that people, I mean, if you read Johnny Depp's forward, um, he kind of gets that feeling, you know what I mean? And uh, there was this, this feeling like, back then, that we were like, yeah, they had the, yeah, there were the, the Stones and, the, and all of the big names and all of the bands that played at Woodstock and all that that were huge. But we were the, the band you could go to see, and we had no pretensions. I mean, we were part of the Blue Army. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, again, looking back at it, that's how I can put it. I had no concept of the Blue Army back then, but uh, we were fans, you know, for, first and foremost, and to, to go out and play and play some of these places that, uh, you know, some of them don't exist anymore. Or yeah, a lot of them. <laughs> renamed, renamed a thousand times, uh, but mostly just, they're gone. You know what I mean? It's it's funny. I'm going to go do a tour of uh, CBS is coming up to do a a, a piece uh, this week, and uh, they want to go to some of the places that that uh, you know, like 1325. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least that's still there.
1: Quick editor's note, Joe, of course, is talking about 1325 Commonwealth Ave, the site of the original Aerosmith apartment in Boston. And it was recently designated an official city landmark in
0: Boston as well. So you know, We're going to go around to, so, well, that's where that used to be. Well, that's where that used to be. And uh, no, there are a couple of things we'll be able to find that are still standing. But uh, unfortunately, uh, like, Take Lowell. I don't. I know the street where my dad grew up has been leveled, mm. and I don't even know what. What uh, it was right next to a canal, and I remember uh, as a little kid walking out and, and looking at it, and it was just kind of a weird thing to have a canal near your house. And uh, uh, I don't know. That it, I don't even know if it's still there. I haven't been back to Lowell in a long time, so mm. I don't know. But uh, anyway it's it's still was ringing bells for me all you know all going through it you know yeah i was hoping to capture some of that i'm glad that that, that, uh you got that vibe
1: oh i did definitely it was it was uh, like i said it was just really neat just to go through and and just remember all those places and even you know even just some of the things that maybe some people just kind of miss but you talk about some of the other you know more recent gigs that you played like the comcast Center things like that and and like that stuff, like one of the coolest memories I had of going to see one of those shows was, you know, driving home. And, you know, me and my daughters are just, we're driving home. I had a great night and we look over them um, and we're, we end up, we're just driving down the highway right next to you and your family and your bus as well. And, and, yeah. you know, you talk about that in the book about the bus and all that. And it was just, it kind of brought back that good memory of that. And I think it, you know, like I said, it's probably kind of unique to people who live around here who are always, you know, like have my daughter call from an event and go, "Yeah, I'm just, yeah, you know, that 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 blonde guy from Aerosmith." Uh, okay, which one? The long blonde hair, short blonde hair? Oh, short. Oh, yeah, Joey. Yeah, yeah, he's here. Oh, okay. And you know, just always people that bump into you guys, and everyone's kind of got their own Aerosmith story. And and that, like I said, that book just kind of brings all that back to me.
0: Yeah. Well, Los is a very unique city. I mean, I've been around the world. A uh, number of times, been to a lot of different different places that were absolutely amazing to visit. Uh, but Boston is uh, it's a really small town, mm. but it's a world class city. I mean, there's there's so much energy here in such a small area, um, just because of the history. I mean, it was uh, uh, all laid out by you know when walking was was pretty much. The the most common mode of transportation. Uh, So that's that's why the the streets are the way they are. But uh, and of course, you know, it's expanded outwards. But but Boston itself is is a small, physically small, as as far as cities go. But Mm. it's got so much energy. uh, You know, with with the colleges, and every year there's like an influx of new. People, uh, you know, whether I think it's something like 300,000, 350,000 new students every year. And of course, this, you know, I guess you would figure that, that, that there's that many that are leaving, but very often people don't leave. You know, mm-hmm. they, they stay for another, uh, to, to go to graduate school or whatever. So it's it's not quite as easy to put your finger on the number of who's leaving as, as so much as who's coming in. Yeah. And I can remember when we moved in from, from New Hampshire, and, you know, that time of the year, it's like the streets are jammed with U-Haul trucks, you know, <laughs> kids put, you know, helping, you know, move sofas upstairs, and we yeah. were doing the same thing, you know, uh, and then figuring out which were the best dorms to, to hang around oh, yeah. Uh, to, uh, you know, Emerson was always a, a great place to hang out and, mm-hmm. uh, and find some, uh, find a date.
1: You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've spent many nights hanging out at Emerson. I had uh, actually a buddy of mine that was going there. Actually, had uh, Pat Metheny's old room at Emerson. That was kind of like his claim to fame. I got Pat Metheny's old room. Wow. So yeah.
0: Interesting. Well, a lot, of, a lot of people. You know, uh, you know, comedians. A lot of artists. A lot. Um, I mean, it's, it was a hotbed. You know. Mm. It, it, we kind of moved here because it was. I mean, New York was really foreign to us. And Tom and I felt like, "Well, it's a great city to be we We both had spent you know a lot of weekends going into town, and so we knew Boston pretty well and it just made it just seemed like the obvious choice to start a band yeah. and uh it was just a short jump from from new hampshire so so and I think that's one of the reasons the band stayed together as long as it did i mean uh Because the fact we're still together—I mean, had a lot to do with the the fact we stayed here. We didn't move to LA. We didn't move to New York. You know, we didn't get swept up in the whole celebrity thing and the whole startup thing. Uh, It's only been the last couple of years that uh, we really—everybody's kind of spread out, Mm. uh, gone off and done, done other things, but. Hey, it's only natural, you know, I mean, it's, uh, I think that people have to, uh, go out and do other projects to bring something back to the band. Yeah. And that's why I love doing solo things and working with other people or doing soundtracks or doing just other stuff, you know, anything just so when you come back, you have something new, mm. you know, something new to, to, to share. Yeah. Uh, that's why it was, uh you know, exciting when Stephen did uh, American Idol. I mean, you know, everybody thinks we're pissed off at him about it, but like I said in the book, it wasn't, that we were that he did it. It was just how he did it. Right. You know, and uh, so I think a lot of things that, that, i uh, have been uh, uh, said about the band in the press have been misconstrued, you know, and uh, then there's some other stuff that, you know, that didn't really happen that were, that, that, Even I don't believe when I read it back. (laughs) You know? uh,
1: So, uh, anyway. Yeah, I'm sure. You got some questions. Hope. I'll say one thing that was really—I thought you really balanced very well in the book, and it's probably very hard in in a book like this, and, and given your long history, is that you never put words into anybody's mouth at all. You always made sure that with everything you were doing that that it really came across as that this was you know your reality. This is how you saw it. If you said something about Brad saying something or Joey said something, it was always something that was said in a public forum with other people there, and it was almost like you could go through and validate everything you put in the book and I thought you did a really good job of making that balance of putting out your story but also letting everybody know that this was coming from Job Perry yeah I just like the way you did all that in the book
0: well that was that was really important to me I'm glad you noticed that because um that was one of the things that I noticed in some of the books that uh some of the because i read quite a few autobiographies um Probably about 80 percent were music, but uh, other other people in other walks of life, you know, politicians, sports people, uh, just to, for two reasons: one, to see how they dealt with their autobiographies, and uh, also to, to see how the uh, uh, it worked with with having a ghost writer. I read some that didn't didn't work with a so-called ghost writer or a or a co-writer. Um, and, uh, some of those books I found hard to get through because it takes, it's, sp- it's a special art writing, writing a book that's, that's readable, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Uh, and still retaining the person's voice. So I, I spent a lot of time reading, uh, reading those books. And, uh, one of the things that, that struck me when I finished and I, I felt like I didn't I didn't get anything from it and I've tried to analyze that and I, when, I, when I sat down with, with uh, David Ritz and talked to him about it because I read some of his books that that kind of left me feeling I didn't think they were that good and I told him I said, you know what, how come these came out so kind of flat and he said, well I, the people didn't give me enough time <laughs> they gave me like four hours of, of uh, interview time and then I had to go back and read other books or read Press art, press articles, read, uh, uh, to talk to other people, uh, and get stuff hand. and uh, and I was determined that that it had to sound like it was coming from me, and that was that's one of David's skills. He's able, to, he's able to, after he spends time with you, you give him all the time he needs, he gets inside your head, and and he can take on your. Uh, your uh, uh, kind of dialect, uh, your the way that you speak, the way you think, you know, And um, but more important, I think that, that it was uh, the point that you brought up that, that I didn't want to put words in people's mouths. I didn't want to think for some, what somebody else was thinking, you know, uh, and that struck me in a couple of books that I read that was like, and they said this, and they and they and they felt that, and it's like I don't know how they felt, right? You know, all I can, all I know is what they said back to me, you know. Uh, and if I didn't remember it, I'll tell you. But uh, the bottom line is, you know, it was just important for me to to have the truth come from me, as I remembered it. Hmm. You know, that was really the part of the rule number one you know.
1: Yeah, and and I'm glad you brought up David Ritz, too, because, you know, in helping you assemble all this, you know, I have to say, I've heard so many interviews with you. Obviously, a guitar player followed you for ages, and when I read this book, I really was reading it with your voice in my head and you've never been like this guy. That's been the, you know, hooray for me guy and stuff. You've always been about the band, about the music, you know, making everything work. You've always kind of been more that humble guy and the book read exactly the way that I've always thought of you and, and seen you act and all of that. And he, like, like you said, he did an amazing job of capturing how you talk and, and how you, you know, present yourself. And yeah, I mean, he did a, just a phenomenal job.
0: Well, Again, that's that's um, a combination of a, of uh, David's skill, and again, he he just wrote how he how you know what he saw, you know, um, and uh, and um, and Billy, you know, was uh, really important in, in helping to keep me directed. I think that the, whatever alphabet soup. Condition I had in school was rearing its ugly head again when I was doing the book because I had a lot of trouble keeping things keeping things in, in order mm-hmm. and and she was you know invaluable in helping with that not, not only just in the technical side but also um, uh, just helping tell tell the stories the way they were coming out of my mouth, you know yeah. what I mean? And um and she helped kind of translate that to David. uh and so it was a a real team effort, you know. And uh but it, like I said, the bottom line is one of David's skills is being able to to uh to get somebody's voice. And I'll tell you something that um um when the Buddy Guy book that he just did he was talking about John Lee Hooker, okay, and John Lee Hooker stuttered, you know. And uh, I don't know if many people know that. And certainly, you um, wouldn't. I was just listening to his his music because, I guess, when people sing, they tend not to stutter. Mm-hmm. And David stutters. And when the, there was dialogue in there with Buddy Guy and John Lee Hooker. And I know Buddy Guy. It was like I was in a room with those both of those guys. You know, it was amazing. It was uh, it was like I was you know listening to Buddy Guy talk and I was listening to John Lee Hooker talk. And uh, and then we he uh, he was writing uh, the uh, the the Frank Conley stuff. I mean, he he it sounded like he had a tape recorder going when Frank Conley was given some of his, you know, some of his dialogue, mm. he nailed him. Like, I, I think I just have to attribute it to his his experience in running into so many people. And, you know, how certain people, like, you, you meet them and, and they kind of remind you of somebody else. Mm. Um, somehow there's some kind of, he has a, a gift of being able to, just when he hears that and, and my description of, of uh, Frank Conley, uh, he was able to make that dialogue read like Frank talked, but mm. but incredible. Yeah. Uh, so you know, obviously, when he had you know a, a living a living person to talk to, I mean, he's gonna he he nailed it, you know, and uh, and so that that satisfied the uh, the first. Uh, like I said, the first thing about the book that I wanted to get across. Yeah, and uh, I appreciate
1: that you noticed that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and even like you talk about, you know, with Frank and stuff, and and you know, being around Boston so long myself and stuff, and I could just hear that as well. Like, okay, I you know, I get what, you know what this guy is, and and you could it just really came through, and I could have a like a kind of a whole new appreciation for all of that, and and it, yeah, it was just so well
0: done. Well, thanks. Yeah, thanks. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, interesting going through the pictures, too, because, uh, uh we were able to date, um uh, some of the gigs and some of the, some of the, the places just by the, by the clothes we were wearing.
1: Yeah, I noticed that with the one with the, uh, I think it was towards the back in the, uh, the whole guitar section. And you, you were like, yeah, by the clothes, this must have been the garden. And then it was, yeah, it was, like pretty cool looking at some of those pictures.
0: Yeah, it was, uh, a little bit of detective work there. You know, uh, figuring some of that stuff out. I mean, that picture of Frank is the only picture that I know of. I mean, maybe his sister still has some stuff, mm-hmm. but I've not talked to her for years and years and years. I mean, uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, she must have some, some more pictures of him, but that's the only picture I know of yeah. that we have. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's uh, it definitely was... Uh, um, a labor of love to uh, get the uh get the truth out mm. and, uh, then have to go over it again and again and edit it and just you know, handpick almost every word, you know.
1: Yeah, I I imagine that must have just been an immense effort to decide what you were going to keep in and what you weren't. And I noticed that in in some chapters, you had just very short paragraphs of things. It was kind of like you kind of got in, got out, almost like you just wanted to make sure that that particular thought was included within the chain. But I I just, you know, in reading all that and how that was laid out, I was just thinking, how does he pick which things are are the important things and not? Because you could just go multi-volume with your life story.
0: Hey, anybody could sit down and write a book about a year in their life, you no. know. So it's, it's just that, you know, this happens to be, uh, you know, I mean, and just just try to capture like a six, 63 years and, and, and get across a certain kind of a feeling it is like you have to kind of spin back pretty often to, to look at the big picture and see what's really important. What point you want to make? You know, some of the stories could end up sounding redundant because the same mechanics are there, mm. um, uh, the same emotions, the same uh, personalities. So it's kind of like I really don't need to tell that story again or dwell on it. So mm. picking the picking the stories that give the, you know that move, uh, move the move the big the big picture along is really the the key. And uh, and again, you know, I, it, I didn't want this to be another sex, drugs, and rock and roll book. I mean, at at all, I had no interest in doing that kind of a book. Mm. You know, i read enough of them. I've lived it. I mean, it's like it's been written about about other bands, about us, about everything. So it's it's like you know, I, 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 it's part of our history, but it certainly wasn't the main you know the main thing and, uh, uh, about the. The, the personalities and the, the reasons why, uh, and the, and the wherefore, and, and you know, h- how did I, you know, uh, manage to, to, to figure this out, and, and, you know, and it, it definitely, uh, you know, dealing with some of the stuff with, uh, with Stephen was, uh, again, I had to just lay it out there, um uh, the way I, I saw it, the way it felt, mm. you know, uh, and then, uh, but I didn't, uh, I also didn't want to write a book that was like, well, I'm going to, I'll get him back for this or I'll get him back for that. Yeah. You know, um, but there's stuff in there that's just a, it's the truth and it's, it, it belongs in the book because people should know, you know, just how hard it is to, to keep this thing together. Yeah. I mean, the, the ultimately I, I hope that people see it as a positive book because the bottom line is we still get out there and make great music when we when we get on the stage and play. Right. But I'll tell you, it was it, it was it, it it was hard, and it still is, you know, keeping it together, and uh, and using the the tools that we learned and earned so hard, you know. I mean, by making mistakes and right. and doing all the, all the things that we did. Uh, and trying things and realizing they didn't work and been then moving on and but not what it stop us right as as it, as as we've seen it do to so many other
1: bands. You know, I like that a lot of the the way that you were approaching about you know the recording of the different albums. And you talk about learning and trying to to take that as an opportunity to get better and all of that and and um, I think you did a, guys did a great job on kind of presenting in more of a layman's terms, what it's like to actually, you know, record an album and, and kinda of your feelings and your thoughts and all that for people that maybe have never been in a studio and think that, yeah, well, it's a lot of fun and you and it's really not. It's it's work. And I think you guys really presented that and also showed how much you know, it didn't get any easier. It just kept getting harder for you guys with the recording as well. And and I I like the fact that the book really reflected all of that. Well it's all it's it's all there. Man.
0: It's mm. it's uh um, like I said, it's it's how it how it happens, and and there's no doubt that you know after writing, I mean your your creativity comes and goes, it goes and peaks. I mean you, you're a writer. I mean and you must feel days when you feel like you know you could write forever, and then there's other days you go. I don't want to look at that thing, I don't to, you know, and yep. and or, or sit down. But you know you have to, and it's really the same thing. I mean, but that's why I've I've read some, and and spent so much time looking at, at other artists, you know, painters, t- t- and talking to you know actors, comedians, uh, writers. Uh, uh, my wife is is an artist, and she's a, and she's um, she writes, she does spoken word. She's uh, she's a a photographer, a painter. So you know, it's uh, it's inspiring to to see that creative process. I don't think you can ever stop learning how that works, and uh, and uh, especially when you feel like I think I wrote the, the best song I've ever written. How how do you go in a studio and Feel compelled to, to to do it again, mm-hmm. and that's a learning process in itself. You know, uh, but, and uh, that's kind of what uh, what one of the things I wanted to explore for my own good, and also kind of put on paper. I mean, when we first walked in the studio, we were we were near fights. You know, even though Stephen had been in the in in other bands and had been in the studio, he he really didn't know anything about about the way that the mechanics of it and uh so we all kind of were learning together you know and bringing what, what little we do to mm-hmm. the table and uh and you can i can hear it i mean i, I you know i hear people tell me you know well how did you get the guitar tone in there well it certainly wasn't what i had in mind when i went in there <laughs> but you know without knowing it i was learning about learning how to how to, carve my own voice you know and uh uh and that's part of the part of the book i think is is like laying it out there and saying well no i didn't know what i was doing when i went in and uh and it took a couple of albums to get it right and then uh all the other stuff got in the way and uh and it wasn't until what eight years later that we that we picked up where we left off mm. you know after I left the band and then got back in the studio you know and uh and again I have to say if, if I had met Billy and uh had our, our relationship and, and uh uh I don't know if I'd, I'd be here talking to you yeah. you know I, yeah. I, I, really, I really believe that yeah. and uh uh and and if if any one person was uh instrumental and, and helping get the band back together, it was her, because she didn't know anything about Aerosmith before. She didn't know about, uh she was way into underground music and, and punk and, and all that. She didn't listen to bands like, like ours. So, all she knew was that I was in a band called the Joe Perry Project, and I could play guitar, and you had a band before, how come you're not playing with them now? Well, it's a long story. And, uh, well, if you guys are such good friends, why, why aren't you playing? And, uh, you know, sure enough, I mean, because she was, uh, uh, she didn't know, she didn't know, uh, the, you know, what went on. And, uh, how much I had learned from being away from the band for five years, you know, we were both kind of like, you know, looking at it like a, a new adventure. You yeah. know, she was there when it all, it all came together. And, uh, it was, uh... So she seen the whole second half, you know? And we managed to raise four kids alongside it, and, uh... You know, it was, uh... The whole, the whole thing was uh, amazing. Mm. It, it still is. I still don't believe it.
1: <laughs> it is just an amazing story, absolutely. And you, know, you mentioned the project. Do you keep in contact at all with Charlie anymore?
0: Yeah, I talk to him once in a while. Oh. Uh, mostly David. Hmm. Uh, but, uh yeah I think Charlie came to the last era for the show and uh, I've, I've talked to him now and then and, uh, uh, but david I, I talked to him a lot. Mm. Uh, he's played with me in some of the, the last uh, time, few times I've gone out. And he's also filled in for Tom when Tom was was sick. So
1: yeah, uh, that was actually kind of a. I had a mixed feeling though, and know, I was seeing that tour. I was like, "Oh, cool! I get to see David play with Joe again." But at the right. same time, I was like, "Oh, I'm not seeing Tom." But yeah, right. he mean he did a great job when he filled in.
0: He did. He's a he's a great bass player. He's really and he just he's really, he's got such a great heart, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he had no like no ego as far as like you know oh I'm gonna go in there and like you know blow him off and all that stuff I mean he studied Tom's style mm. played uh, played what Tom plays you know and uh it was really uh, he, was, he was a great guy you know all down the line you know and uh uh, we do we do stay
1: in touch yeah that's good that's good yeah every so often I see because obviously Charlie lives right over in Chelmsford so every so often I happen to notice Charlie at different places but yeah so it's cool that you're keeping up with some of the guys
0: yeah yeah well yeah unfortunately uh, Ralph uh passed away mm. a couple
1: of months ago hey just breaking in here again of course Joe is referring to Ralph Mormon who was the original singer in the Joe Perry project it
0: was really sad to hear that yeah but uh Hey, we're all get to that
1: age. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One thing that was classic, classic, absolute Joe Perry about this book, and I was and I'm reading it through and I'm just like I just read cover to cover. Didn't look forward, nothing. I just was gonna I read cover to cover and I was thinking, geez, he's really not being very technical about stuff. And I was thinking, okay, well maybe he's you know, He's going to gear this as, you know, for the whole entire audience and not just for guitar holics like me. And then at the very end of it, you have the appendix about the text and about the equipment. And I-, I love when the first Joe Perry Project album came out, the fact that you had not just the regular credits, but like every piece of recording gear you guys use was on that album. And, you know, I'm one of those guys that would buy the album, put it on, and read everything. If it had stuff on the sleeve, I read the sleeve and all that. And I was like, this is just such Joe Perry that he's got stuff from his text and then just the rundown of all the gear. That was fantastic.
0: Well, I didn't want to get, I wanted to put some of that stuff in there, Mm. but I figured it would kind of clog up the story. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because the majority of people aren't going to be that interested in what kind of microphones I used or the fact that, you know, I would take, the guts out of a Vox guitar and put it into a foot pedal or whatever, you know, whatever mm. oddball thing, you know, uh, that would, uh, you know, of, uh, you know, some of the, uh, the technical stuff. And anyway, I mean, there might be one or two places that were, that it was kind of, uh, there'd be part of the story, but, mm. you know, I want, I know there's a lot of guitar players out there that, that were interested in that kind of stuff. And I, I would have been, and, uh, I would be and uh so I figured well, why not do something like that at the end of the of the, just have it there. If you're not into it, you don't have to read it and it's not gonna slow down the the uh, uh the momentum of uh, of the big the big story. Right. You know, so uh that was uh, uh a real conscious uh, conscious decision to uh uh i mean there's just so many guitar players out there and i get, I get asked those questions so often it's like i figured why not you know mm. and the, like i the, said the, the simon and truth they were they were really uh behind me a hundred percent on on doing that you know it was just really uh they were great yeah no it's
1: yeah i, I love the fact that that was there and because and yeah obviously um I'm pretty much a, like a massive gear whore whether it's guitars or pedals or amps and all of that and and you know I love all that classic stuff and you just you know can never have enough guitars and everyone's got a tone and a flavor and all that and, and you know I love when I'm watching you guys play and how you seem to be able to pick the right guitars for the songs and, and the fact that you know, when you go into that appendix, you know they, there's some kind of explanation to a lot of the work that goes into deciding which guitars get used when and all that. So it was pretty nice to see that break out.
0: Right. Well, it was uh, it was fun doing that, and uh, I, w- I was hoping to do be able to add some more things to it uh, in the in the iBook, but uh, uh, by adding some music to it. But uh, the the uh, the legal end of it just got to be too. Uh, too complicated. Mm. I mean, really that really like got in the way as far as, far as adding stuff to it to an iBook. But um, uh, it just uh, uh, you know maybe as time goes on, in the future in the future we can do do something. But uh, uh, but right now i was not able to to add any more to it than I than, than we already have. Mm. But uh, at least we got the uh, the appendix the way it is, and and, uh, and John Bionelli was able to find to track some of these guys down, and uh, it was great, mm. you know, being able to to talk to them again and and see what they had to say.
1: Yeah, I think it was just a really cool thing that was there. Obviously, besides everything that your wife brought to your life and all of that that you wanted to include in the book going into this project was there anything else that you thought was like a really key thing that you wanted to make sure that you really brought out in the book
0: i think that the tumult of the of the late 90s uh after the band you know got back together and made it and got got our footing and you know, after primitive vacation, and uh, we were working on the next record in Vancouver, and uh, and then things started to go south with uh, Collins. I don't. I think that some of the stuff behind the scenes that was really important for me to get out there, because so much of that was uh, the press was controlled by him, yeah. and I just wanted people to know what it took and what kind of sacrifices we had to make. To keep the band together. I mean, whether it was uh, the, the the crazy stuff he was pulling, like with the with the band meetings, and and, and basically, you know, I mean, we were all f- well. I mean, we were healthy. We were we were creating. We were you know successful. I mean, we were finally giving the fans. What they what they deserved, you know, and uh, we were doing, doing right by ourselves and raising our kids, and, and he was just wanted to keep us five people in a in a car, you know, and it was like it just got to the point where we just had to had to say, "I'll see you later," but I don't think that that has ever been like you know laid down in just so many words, yeah but it was really important to put that out there.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you said that, because one of my daughters had asked me after I finished the book, she's like, well, geez, Dad, I mean, you probably know what Joe had for breakfast yesterday, so what was it about the book that, you know, that really gave you some insight? And I said, wow, it was this whole Tim Collins thing was always been very kind of shadowy about what went on, and people don't like to comment on it, and I said, he just did a really good job of of really laying out what happened there, and I said, now I just have so much more clarity over that time frame, so I'm really glad that you did that part
0: of it. Important to get it out there because it was a really hard time and it was, believe me, the uh, lawyers had fun with that, you know, <laughs> trying to make sure because they vet everything and they, they look at everything to see if there's any libel, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the potential for libel suits. So uh, uh, they, they do it with every book. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not just, you know, this one. I mean, they do it. It's just part of the Publishing process, and uh, but they they had a uh, a real ball with that. I'll tell you, <laughs> checking out all that stuff to make sure that that everything checked out. And uh, again, I wasn't putting words in anybody else's mouth, that kind of thing. You know? yeah, yeah, And it was uh, to the best of my knowledge, and all that stuff. So, uh, but that was really important to have out there. Yeah, not know, you know what I mean. And uh, I think it was really important.
1: Yeah, and, you know, that was still that time frame, too, of pre-social media. And depending on what part of the country you were on, you you know, you'd hear about this, that, or the other thing. You know, the Herald would always be going with every little tidbit they could get and stuff. And so it got to be really confusing from a, a fan perspective as to, you know, what was going on. So, yeah, I just I thought that that laid it out just really nicely.
0: Yeah, well, that was it. And again, you're right about the uh, a lot of things got written about in the local press but it never got picked up by the, uh, by the, by the wire. Mm. So, uh, by the, and, and, you know, it being pre-internet and, um, anyway, uh, or at least at, at the level it's at now, it was, uh, stuff never got out there. It was all bits and pieces or so they would pick certain things that they thought were newsworthy and, and leave all the other things and it was like, now you gotta have the whole story, you know? Mm. So, that was, that was, a. Uh, tough part to go through. I yeah. mean, I, I know I did things that I'm not proud of and that, and, and I had to write about it, you mm-hmm. know, uh, to have it be real. I mean, to have, have it, have some, hey, if, if I didn't put everything in there, the, the bad but the good, it wouldn't be worth anything. Right.
1: Oh, absolutely, and and that is, like I said before, you were very balanced about that, and, and you know, if if you messed up, you you know, you laid it out there as well, which I mean, a lot of times, that, I mean, that's what you read books for, right? You want to get insights and things. I mean, if, if that's yeah. like the real reason to read a biography, right? Is is to kind of gain insight on the person. So, well, uh,
0: that's why I, I hope that people uh, don't pigeonhole this book, and I, I don't think you have to be an with fan. You a know, rock and roll fan to get something out of it, hmm. so, uh, and uh, because it, it really you, you take off all that, you know, the the, the glitz and, and the supposed glamour and whatever underneath, and you it's really about human nature and and the dynamics between people and how people deal with that, and uh, that's true in any in any time, any time, in, in any family. Job you have, you're working with other people, how you get along with them, how you deal with, you know, differences of opinion and all that stuff. Uh, and that's that is common to human nature. So no. that's that's uh, another thing that was uh, important to, to kind of uh, make obvious. Yeah, and
1: you definitely did. I, I you know. This definitely could be a textbook about how the psychology of group dynamics, even with, with the health of Tim Collins part. But one thing I liked and I liked it and you repeated it a couple times in the book about the fact of Stephen is Stephen and you can't change how Stephen is. And you have to work and kind of deal and, and know that there's that dynamic there and work with it rather than try to change it. And I love that at one point, I think the last time you said it, you literally just said it as one sentence standing all by itself those little details like that are, I think, were just really important the way you, you
0: put those out. Well, it's it's common to human nature to, to want to, you know, to want people to want to change somebody. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like what breaks marriages up and what breaks families up. It's like, well, if you would only do this or if you would only do that, well, people are, are going to, you know, there's only a, there's some things you can change and some things you can't. And the things you can't, you got to, like, learn to live with it and you got to take responsibility for dealing with it you know and then it, and it's on your shoulders to, to kind of if you want to still be with that person or work with that person you got to either learn to work either deal with it or you know move on yeah that yeah. other person's not going to change you know uh, at least, uh, you know, in certain circumstances.
1: Yeah, or at least you're not going to change them. They, they might change themselves, and you you were pretty adamant about that, you know. If he wants to change himself, he could, but it's not. he's not going to change because you told him to, or anybody exactly. tells him to. Exactly. Yeah. So, of course, the book comes out on October 7th, and then you get a little mini book tour as well. You you kind of psyched up about hitting uh, a few key cities and, and doing some signings?
0: Yeah, yeah, we're It's going to be uh, a lot different, I think, than than the usual, like, uh, record release. Mm. going to be in every city, uh, every major market we can in a two-week period. And we may extend it for another another couple of weeks, uh, but we'll see. We're just, I don't even have a schedule yet. They're still adding things to it.
1: Yeah, I know you've definitely got a, f- a few dates around here in Boston, and and it was yeah. pretty cool that the ones in Boston are getting moderated by Carter Allen. So that's good. A little BCN alumni going in there for you.
0: Right. Well, it's uh, hey, it's going to be good. It's, that's what's going to make the Boston Woods special.
1: Mm. I like that you 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 know you mentioned Maxanne and of course you know Mark Parento, and you know. Yeah. Just, I mean, there was just such a part of our history here with BCN, and sometimes I mention some of these people to other people, and they're like, "Who?" And it's like, "Are you kidding me? You don't, you don't remember all these guys?" They, right. And I don't think they have a sense of not just you know locally, but even nationally, like how much BCN really meant to music at large.
0: Right. Well, they were groundbreakers. I mean, there was she was one of the first, if not the first, female DJ, and mm. that's back when DJs could play what they wanted you know what I mean it was you know and you listen to them you know what I mean they talked between songs it was like I mean, they let you know what was going on in town it was a whole different whole different vibe yeah you know? and uh Cirrus I was on uh, at the studio we were playing and we recorded the record uh out in LA part of the, st- the building was uh Cirrus uh XM or whatever and it's just a room full of computers. Yeah. Playing, you know, program, pre-programmed stuff. I mean, people have their shows. and They do their shows from their homes, whatever. And But most of the time, it's just, you know, it's all these lights flashing and clicking on and off. And once in a while, somebody goes in and makes sure everything's running right. And then, you know, once in a great while, they would have somebody in there for an interview or something like that. But most of the time, it's just, it was funny to see like Cirrus, and you walk in and it's like just a room full of computers you know you know they have a big studio obviously in, in New York and, and you know where their, their headquarters are and they have a uh, there's a couple of live studios in there but uh, it was just uh emblematic of the times. Mm.
1: I know for, I for myself, I just miss that classic BCN. You know, one of my buddies who since passed away, he was one of Mark's producers, and I can just remember, you know, he played in a band, and you'd always see Mark. He'd come out to the gigs for them, and, you know, yeah. I'd sit down, and, you know, Mark and I would shoot the crap and stuff, and you know, that was, I think, part of the whole aura of that station, and, and it was it was nice that you brought that out, and I don't think people realize even how important that, you know, even though you mentioned him in the book, just, you know, how key Mark was to a Lot of what went on with Aerosmith.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, I, I did my best, man. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad that it was a uh, that that, uh, you know, you liked it and you found it entertaining and, and it hit a lot of things, you know, that I had in mind and, uh, it's it's uh it's
1: just great all around. Yeah, absolutely. I think you guys did a great job on this thing. I recommend it to anybody that not just for, you know, rock biographies, but just even just a life story in general. I think it I think it hits all the marks and it rings as a very honest and and true narrative. Well,
0: well, thanks. Thanks a lot, man. It's been good talking to you.
1: Hey, no problem. You know, and if you're ever heading up 93, going to Sun and P, and you're like, hey, I want to feel like swinging off the highway for a second and going to Lowell, you know, my door and my guitars are always open to you.
0: All right. Well, thanks a lot. Awesome. I appreciate that.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. I'll talk to you. All right, Joe. Have a good one. Bye.
0: Bye. I'm gonna go. Hold on.